Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to a Linoleum Knife special. Uh, this is a thing that Dave and I love to do every year, and we usually do it in January, but, you know, the world got in the way. So hip, it's... Hip surgery. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so here it is March, and uh, let's, just say, let's just say it's our Oscar preview. Whether or not we talk about the Oscars at all, whatever. Uh, but we're thrilled to have joining us today uh, our dear friend Robert Abley from the Los Angeles Times, our dear friend Justin Chang, newly minted New Yorker film critic, <laughs> uh, Manola Dargas, veteran of the New York Times, Peter de Bruges, veteran of Variety. Welcome, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so I, I mean, all right. Just to, to, to actually, before we get rolling, uh, we had a, a, a loss this week in the in the film community. Uh, the legendary uh, film historian, uh, uh, God, why David do names Bord fly Bordwell. out of my head when I need them? David, David Boardwell. David Boardwell passed away this week. Uh, Manola and Justin, I know you guys knew him somewhat well, at least compared to the rest of us. Um, I let Manola go first. She knew him best of any of us. Yes. I, I met David, well, I knew about David just from uh, reading him, and I actually started reading him outside of school. I had come to him after I uh, after I'd, um, started writing professionally, and I had been really under the sway of a lot of very heavy-duty theory when I had been in graduate school the first time, and I was looking for a different way and into movies, and I found a book called The Classical Hollywood Cinema, Film Style and Mode of Production to 1960, uh, written in the 1980s by Boardwell, uh, Janet Steiger, and then Boardwell's wife and longtime collaborator, Kristen Thompson. It is one of the great books that you can possibly read about the movie industry. Again, the classical Hollywood cinema. It is a, a brilliant, brilliant, really book. And one of the things that uh, Boardwell was really instrumental in doing was kind of opening up a really big space for kind of non-theoretical approaches to movies, which was really important to some of us. And this book in particular looks at film style, the history of film style in Hollywood. Like, what makes a Hollywood movie? And this really breaks down analytically in a really accessible way. Uh, they were looking at um, both film style, uh, film technology, and production systems. You know, how did the different studios actually organize labor and production to make the classical Hollywood film. Uh, Boardwell was extraordinarily prolific. Just uh, people yeah. who are interested should just Google him. And he was just a delightful, delightful, delightful human being, a wonderful conversationalist. I visited him uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, just, it was just, <laughs> just the two of us, we just were like, yeah, da, 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 for three hours straight, you know? And I was like jumping up and imitating uh, <laughs> Keanu Reeves for him. And he was trying to convince me to write <laughs> about Keanu Reeves. And I think the thing that I, I felt so grateful to him was that he had this big brain that he shared with the world, but he did it in a really accessible, friendly way. And you didn't feel intimidated at all. And he was an extraordinarily supportive friend. He, would send me little notes, and I never felt smarter and better about myself than when David wrote me a little note. So I just want to just want to thank him for everything that he did for all of us, really, because all of us have been the beneficiaries of his wisdom uh, and his incredible knowledge and his optimism about the movies. You know, I mean, whatever was happening in the industry, you could still feel good about the movies themselves. So. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I remember like it was it was in college when you know I, when I first you know learned about Ozu and then his book had just come out and it was sort of like when you read it you're just like oh it's like somebody's talking right to you about the thing that you love and he knew how to write that way and and then he just did it his most his last book is called Perplexing Plots and it's about about the power of like of, of, of murder mystery storytelling and I'm just like oh my god this is like this is just he's just a dream to read to oh, read when when you a- when you are in sync with the same things. It's like, it's just, he's great. And I just want to point out, he has a, an amazing blog and, you know, save yourself. If anybody's interested in going to, to graduate school to uh, study film, you know, maybe save yourself some money and just like <laughs> read that blog because you will <laughs> learn so, so much. True. You all can't see this except for those of us in the room, but Robert very nicely bought me perplexing plots <laughs> <laughs> like two weeks ago. And this is, and it's because he knew we, we were both, you know, um, mystery heads and that Boardwell had written a book devoted entirely to the subject and how this, you know, intersects with, you know, um, film noir and, and the, but, the detective film. And, and then there know, are digressions just, um, into Sondheim. It's like, it's, it's oh kind of, it's amazing. I haven't even done this right. Oh, I, I need to dive got in. Your no, no, totally. <laughs> I, I'll just say, I really, not to go on and on, but I, he, I got to meet him just the one time I'm so fortunate was when I was a guest of the Biennale College Cinema at the 2017 Venice International Film Festival and he, he and Kristen were, he, he, it was just amazing. I remember them, we all went to see, you know, Zama, Christian Martel's film, which was like played like the first or second night, you know, not love that movie, but not the easiest to get a handle on the first time. And David and Kristen went lined up for seconds and thirds. They were like, they were like, they loved the movie. Oh he was so God. effusive. He was just like, he was just going on like, oh my God, everything, her compositions, her editing. He was just, it was insane. And we all was like, yeah, and it's, like, he, it's just that kind of energy that, you know, applied to classical Hollywood, applied to, you know, new Argentinian cinema. It was just like, it was remarkable. <laughs> no, um, that, that kind of enthusiasm can be infectious. Like, we just watched the whole uh, Power of Film series on uh, TCM, where it's Howard Suber just sort of walking you through, like, what oh, it is yeah. about why are classic movies classics and why do audiences respond to them. And, and yeah, it, it was just... I, I kind of felt like he was just cutting through and finding these through lines and finding these points of, of commonality for people in movies. And it, it was it was really illuminating and, and exciting because I think sometimes it's hard to or it's easy to get, you know, if not jaded, at least a little like, yeah. Well, I think part <laughs> of it is like what what David did for a lot of us was like he taught us how to read movies. Mm-hmm. Like you watch movies since you're, you know, pre-conscious almost but like you know the like how to uh, how to watch for the all the little technical things and all of the narrative things and he would find patterns in a way that my brain is not sharp enough to and like I remember uh just in a kind of fan capacity reaching out to him as a variety editor in 2008 (laughs) and being like David would you write something for us and he only ever wrote one thing for variety ever but he was so excited to do it, and I was so excited to kind of have an excuse to have an outreach to a, one of the gods, you know. <laughs> oh, it's cool you made that happen. He was also just incredibly generous toward uh-huh. critics, younger critics, newer, oh. newer critics, newer writers on film. That's all you just, heard, yeah. Yeah, he was just, uh, you know, he, and he didn't have to be, but he was, mm. yeah. I, I think the main thing is I want to hold on to the optimism, you know, and as sad as I have been this week, it's just uh, this is someone who really at a very low point where I was feeling kind of bummed out about the movie industry and I felt really kind of like I was just reviewing all these shit 
bad movies and I couldn't quite like how do you write about bad movies you know that becomes a really people think that critics like writing negative reviews and you know sometimes but I really don't but you need to find something and David said to me and I swear it really helped he said it's very simple there's always something to say about a movie and it's just that <laughs> sentence lives in my head you know like it is like oh here's another really boring movie with just banality 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 cuz like bad movies are kind of easy to do right but the banal ones there's always yeah, mediocrity is the tough one to write yeah, about totally exactly yeah so anyway thank you david for everything thank you. i mean, i often think about this at variety where it's like we just deal in so much volume you know justin and I worked together there for years and years, and he knows what I'm talking about, where it's just like, you know, at one point when Justin was kind of overseeing this section, we were reviewing 1,500 yeah. movies a year. And I often think that things like fall on this great big bell curve, where the really terrible things, which are hilarious and engaging to write about, are in this teeny sliver, and the really exceptionally great things are in this teeny sliver at either end of it. And so much falls into that kind of like ambivalent middle ground where you have to still find something compelling to say about these things. I guess the low end of that bell curve, the bad end, is a little fatter than the... It's funny, and, and it's funny, 1,500 or 1,000, whatever, and that was, you know, the trades used to cover even more than that. That was like when things were already starting to cut back, and yeah. it's yep. interesting now, because obviously I write way less, and, it's, and one can be choosier, and it's like, I find myself mostly writing positive reviews and I find that sometimes like god I feel so milk toast I'm just like but it's like well that's just a better use of my time I think given that like why you know and and then sometimes every so often yeah you want to see something really terrible that you can kind of it's like you know keep yourself <laughs> sharper just to, for balance sure, you know but sure. but really it, but the, you're right I mean the the utter kind of but now the mediocrities whatever those it's it's hard it's yeah hard. You're, those are the hard ones you're yeah. onto something though because like I was you know, I had just a month ago, for some reason, gone on to Rotten Tomatoes, my page, and, like, everything was, like, a fresh tomato. And I was like, am I suddenly generous? And I think I think it's this other thing where it's, like, I'm I'm lucky to be in a position where I can be a little bit more selective about what I'm reviewing. And if I'm going to write something, you don't necessarily know before you take the assignment, but you gravitate to things that might be more oh, promising. I mean, you know? I, in my many years uh, writing reviews for the LA Times, it started out It started out where, uh, I mean, and I, I just attribute this to being like, you know, uh, uh, back when the LA Times did write about every single movie opening in Los Angeles, and, and to get in it, <laughs> in that, you start by re reviewing every terrible, four-walled, I mean, like, the, that was like my beat, oh, God, was to write about really horrible movies, and then, and, you know, you then you know just time means I got, I got out of that, and now I'm very fortunate in that I can write about I, I get assigned good things because the LA Times doesn't review everything anymore, and they can pick and choose, and so they're going to stick to um, obviously big releases, but also the the key um, art house international documentary uh, ones that are likely to be better. So yeah, so my page too is mostly mostly um, tomatoes. Yeah, well, but can I just say yeah. can I just say one thing though? Rotten Tomatoes wants good reviews. You know, they so want good reviews. I have a real pro I I am not a fan of Rotten Tomatoes and. But I just know, I'm sure all you have had the same thing where they write you and ask you if it's positive or negative because they can't 
tell <laughs> or I don't know. I, I, get, I, post, I, I post my own stuff. So I, uh, that's, uh, okay. I get a disproportionate. I mean, I've had a few like, what is this positive or not? Or speak as somebody who doesn't get to hand pick what he reviews. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, still verdict wants me to do whatever the widest release of any. Sure. Is. So uh, let me assure you, there's still a lot of crap. Out of there. Oh, no. In fact, I actually think if you're, if you're in a situation where you are a lead critic and you, and you're being told you have to write about every major release, you're likely to have that more of a mix of bad and good because yeah. those big movies are just getting worse I mean, and worse. Thankfully, between Breakfast All Day and and this program, like I have a venue to talk about about dry grasses or about um, you know perfect days or whatever. You know, like these these sort of smaller niche doc foreign whatever kind of films mm-hmm. that fit in that category yeah. because. Where I am right now, I mean, and, and again, the site that I'm at covers all of that stuff, but they usually cover them out of festivals in Europe. Uh, I have a specific task, which is what's the big opener in the U.S. this weekend. Mm. Um, but so so it's not that the, the site is interested. It's just I don't get to do that stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and, and so even then, like I try to find the. There's something in here that I can praise, you know, and, and and then like weirdly, I wound up being one of the few sort of relative champions, and even that's with a very mixed review of something like Madam Web, you know, which the web, the internet decided they just were going to all dump on, you know. Well, but people seem to like that. I didn't see it, but it, it seems that it's the the bad reviews seem to have an element of there's something enjoyably bad about it. I mean, am I, am I wrong about? I don't think that's. I mean, because I was more positive. I wasn't. A, Fresh tomato on that one, but like <laughs> then a lot of like people like seem to treasure the opportunity to say this is the worst film ever made since the last worst film ever made, which yeah, in that case was right. a week earlier with Argyle. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The same like line right. was out or whatever. The hits keep coming, but it's like both of those movies are not as terrible as advertised, and no. they're not good bad either. They're just kind of like you know they're mm-hmm. passably functional, right. and it's like that's disappointing. But they're both but, like they're both definitely the product of studio. I mean, and they come from a craven place. You know, that's yeah, there's that's an a, objectionable kind of yeah. germ. That you can tell when a, something is a big swing. Uh, you can tell when something's a big swing and it's bad, and something that is cynically bad. Yeah, you know, I sure, know that you know. was that, but that's a combination. So I wouldn't even know why. I mean, Madame Web seems to me to be a confusion of different reasons why it was bad. You know, like I don't think. That character is so negligible in the original comics. I was actually really shocked at how little, you know, I mean, initially yeah. when she just pops up into the comics. And she's an old lady when it starts. Now, that would have been kind of interesting, but of course that was never going to get. You know? <laughs> Can we make her sexy? Helen <laughs> Mirren exactly. is. I just want to know who said yes to to her. Because I just think she's, a, I'm sorry, just like spacing out the name of the actress. Dakota Jet. Dakota like... Who said yes to her? Because anyone who's ever watched her for five minutes on screen would be like, this is not someone for this role. I mean, it's insane to me. You know? Yeah, Ernest is not exactly her wheelhouse. So. But it, it did gift us that press tour where she was I amazing. Know. And I haven't seen the movie yet, but it's like, I, I just know. like, where she seemed to kind of, you know, lazily signal her contempt for the entire process. <laughs> I know. Can we, can we just have Dakota Johnson, like, do press tours and just not release the movie? I mean, can we just make up make up movies that she can just talk about that aren't real, but, like, she goes and does interviews Look, with she's people? She's third generation. She I cannot be bothered to fake it at this That's point. That's true. Let us remember, Grandma's Tippy Hendren, Mom That's is right. Melanie Who's Griffin. I mean, it's, you know. Oh, no. Um, so, you, uh, Manolia, earlier you mentioned the, the state of the film industry, and I, I sent out to everybody the uh, Mark Harris piece in the New York Times this weekend, which is, you know, 
there's a there's a a hint of gloom and doom in there, but I think not uh, necessarily the same gloom well, I mean, and doom we always get. The headline was like, "How bad can it get?" It's yeah. like it's like apocalyptic the premise, but um, but he tries to spin it by the end to saying that there's glimmers. What's interesting about Mark Harris is that he wrote a book on kind of the most turbulent period in Hollywood when kind of like at the tail end of the 60s, the studios had really lost their way and the new Hollywood generation came in and upended it. And I think what's kind of interesting to have his voice weigh in at this moment is to ask the question, are we in another period of transition? I think that's the, as he points out a lot of really important things, and I think that's the part of the premise that is interesting to me is that a lot of us have been saying how do we get back to pre-pandemic levels or the industry then? And, you know, he, I think, quite rightly points out you can't do that. I mean, like there there was a change, an irreversible change that happened there, and we're always surging forward in a different way. Whether it's towards doom, I don't think anyone in this conversation <laughs> feels that way or we would all go and find other lines of work. But it's like um, the uh, – but, I mean, we are undoubtedly in a period where we have to – kind of like reinvent and figure a way forward because the streaming thing that was kind of presented as the answer during the pandemic is imploding and, and changing um, under our feet for one. I, um, yeah, I mean, there. I just, I have many thoughts, but I'll try to just have just a few so we can talk about it. But like one of the things is like, you know, it's like even, this is a kind of a, I think Mark Harris is a great writer. I really like him uh, personally as well. I think he's great, absolutely great. This is a kind of iteration on something that he's been writing for quite some time. And, um, you know, he tends to, and I understand it, you know, I think that he he was among the most alarmed voices, understandably so, about like the all the Marvel movies, for instance, that we were, you know, then flooded with a while ago. There's a couple of things, though. Um, what do we mean when we talk about Hollywood? You know, as a, a to me, it's, I, I use that term, but it's a kind of meaningless term for something that hasn't resembled the old studio system for decades and decades and decades. You know, the old studio system that we think about, you know, movies like Casablanca or whatever, these certain kind of, you know, gone, you know, gone with the wind or how green was my valley, whatever, you know, that period lasted for a very short period of time, like very, very, very short. And what we have had through the entire history of movies are cycles of crises and retrenchment. Cycles of crises, retrenchment. From the, you know, from the introduction of uh, synchronized sound to television coming along to recession eras. And, you know, the 1970s, yes, there were some really wonderful filmmakers that came along and helped, uh, helped the industry out. There were also all sorts of tax breaks there were huge subsidies that were being given. Like, so it's not just a matter of like genius flowering up and making everything okay. It is about money and power and how it flows. And you know, the movie industry has been in decline almost since the very beginning. I don't really worry about the, the movies. What is in peril clearly is the system that has come into, and I think it is a system. You know, the system keeps changing. Is the system currently these? These companies, they're all conglomerates, have just screwed things up and they are not sure how to fix it right now. So it's going to be interesting, but I'm not worried about the movies. Whatever happens in the industry is something, you know, obviously that will affect the movies, but the movies are going to still happen. I mean, among other things, for instance, Sundance had more submissions this year than at any other time in its history. Movies are going to continue. How they get out is another question, obviously, what kinds of movies? But I just think I always urge everyone, bigger picture, please. 
Yeah, because everyone, whenever you hear people say like, "Oh, it was a bad year for movies," you know they only saw a certain. They were only thinking about a certain kind of film, and it was usually maybe like a movie released by a studio. And obviously, every year there are always great movies. And you know, yeah, when you talk about the Hollywood system, it's a hermetically sealed world that that that, that, that made movies, you know, in a, in a in a very particular kind of. Uh, 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 Vacuum, and that just isn't how movies are made. Where they, they think about global box office, they think about about you know audiences merchandising. They think about and and and, and so with more decisions that have to be made, uh, you're going to get crazy movies that don't feel very artistic in a in a unified sense. But those art movies are being made; they're just not in that system. But uh, but now also they are being made and then you know buried alive. Like oh, that's the wait, that, that's that, the hard this, part. I yeah. think the new thing that we're looking at now, and yes, there's always been a cycle of like, oh no, television or oh no, VCRs or whatever, and, and we we carry through. But we've never seen we've made and finished a movie and we've decided <laughs> that it is financially better for us to never let anyone oh see God. it. I know, but that's a function of the fact that these are companies that are conglomerates. They're they're global companies you know and so it's it's cheaper for them to write something off than to put into theaters this system has just the old studio system has been dead for so long it just keeps changing so i'm not sure what's going to happen but the idea that there is even something called hollywood is really like a you know it's a very easy signifier but i think a lot of times it's like what are you talking about i mean i think what was interesting last year i mean if you look at all the I'm not sure if this is true of all of the Best Picture nominees, but I think it is. Like, they basically all had premiered in the world by the Venice Film Festival. You know, it's like, so you had things that were showing at Cannes or the Barbenheimer thing over the summer or Telluride mm -hmm. in Toronto and Venice premieres. And then you had the phenomenon of the strike. And so what the strike has done is it has put this kind of six-month, you know, kind of uh, blockage in the pipeline. And the the industry is not revved up immediately or as quickly as before. I've been hearing anecdotally from friends who were on projects that hit the pause button for the strike and are now writing again, you know, that basically the executives that are telling them, they're totally rethinking everything that they, all the notes they've been giving before, they're, they've lost confidence. And that there's a line in Mark's piece that came up over a dinner last weekend, which is survive till 25. It's this kind of, all of the executives in town are basically kind of like, covering their asses until next year. I don't know. There's a lot going on. There's this gap in the pipeline. There's the mm -hmm. elections. There's the economy. There's a lot of uncertainty. And the idea is just like no one wants to lose their jobs this year. And it's like how I think we're going to have to get over that speed bump or yes. opposite of a speed bump, a big dip in production. But we have like, you know, Justin and I were at Variety during the writer strike previously. And uh, I think that we had a closer view than, you know, people out in the the movie consumer world, just looking at the industry and seeing that, you know, we watched the strike happen and then we watched kind of like a six to nine month period afterwards in which there was kind of a thinness of things. And so this is familiar to me. It's, it's frustrating. And it's like that, that, I mean, like last year to me was so exciting when I came out yeah. of those fall festivals, I was like, God, yep. you know, the, the state of the industry and what my hope is, is that like, we haven't lost that momentum, but how can you not lose some of that momentum when, yeah. you know, like you literally tell everyone to sit on their hands for six months. I'm just going to throw one more stat out just because one of the things that Mark mentions in the piece is that there are, there are fewer uh, big releases for the, for projected for 2024 than there were in 2023. And so I was reading, uh, I believe last year there were 124 wide releases, meaning in movies that were opening in 1,000 or more theaters. 
and it's projected that this year we're going to be down to 107. Okay, but again, those are for big movies opening in 1,000 or more theaters. I just want to point out, because I have a book here, in 1977, the MPA, the Motion Picture, uh, the, the big, you know, um, that represents all the studios, released 93 features, okay? 93. <laughs> in 1978, 105. So I'm just saying, cycles, people, cycles. <laughs> cycles. And, and then kind of the opposite of like Warner Brothers killing a movie and turning to a write-off, you have Apple TV who apparently like will can spend 300 million on making and advertising a feature without blinking cuz for them that's like the cost of advertising you know, just billboards of it's an like iPhone. The, you know, it's, it's a, a loss leader. It's a loss leader for yeah. them, yeah. you know? Absolutely. And you know, if you're the biggest isn't Apple still the biggest co uh, uh, company in the entire world? You know, this is freaking chump change, apparently, for them. So. It's certainly not what their bottom line is depending on. And it's like the, uh, but let me, to me, this, uh, like, I'm friendly with people involved in the uh, Coyote versus Acme project. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really devastated for them. But, like, this is a reflection both of, you know, this kind of horrible economic situation that Warner Brothers is trying. But it's also, like, the reality is you may spend tens of millions of dollars on a film, you're going to have to spend tens of millions more dollars down the road to open it, you know, to have a wide release. It costs, I can't remember the equation, but I mean, it's, you know, often multiples of the budgets of certainly of these independent movies, you know, and, uh, you know, that's part of the calculus too. So it's like, um, it's, it's the question that studios have to ask of at what point, you know, to stop throwing money at specific things. But then do people want to go work for Warner Brothers if they think they're going to pour themselves into a film and then have it wind up on a tax ledger? I mean, I that's know, that's, so that's how they lost Nolan to <laughs> Universal. It seems like anybody, you know, any major player award-winning, you know, track record director is going to either have a very ironclad contract that's like, no, my movie opens in this many screens or it's like, I will take my business elsewhere. Thank you, because there are at, still some elsewhere. The streamers have attracted a lot of these talent. I mean, it, it is interesting that, like, Scorsese's last, what, three movies have been yeah. for streamers? You yeah. know, like, two. Um, certainly, like, two. Irishman two. and... Irishman and... Irishman and... Irishman and... Documentary. Right. You know, yeah. the... Uh, and, uh, but it's like, they're for different studios. Yeah. So there's this... Or different streamers. So there's this thing where it's like, they all are offering him what he wants, you know, which is creative freedom and endlessly long movies but like um and infinitely high budgets but uh be nice <laughs> I mean, you may love those movies but it's like that same that same streamer doesn't you know want to double down and make his next one you know until they do i mean it's like i mean i feel like exactly. their decision making is so like it just from day to day is shocking so you know if if some other Someone else comes in to. I mean, the reason that Nolan, let's remember, left Warner Brothers is he was really angry that they put his his worst movie. I'm sorry, Tenet, <laughs> on uh, on their streamer during a freaking pandemic, you know. And it's like I love Nolan, you know. I, I don't know the man, but I love his work. So he left, but you know, he really thought we needed to be going into theaters in August of 20. I was not going to go and like you know, like wear a hazmat suit to go to the movies to see that movie. I've seen that movie twice. <laughs> Uh-uh. I'm sorry, Mr. <laughs> you know, let's not look backwards. <laughs> oh. Let's look <laughs> Let's look forward and backwards and then forward and backwards. <laughs> One part of Mark Harris's piece that um I think 
resonated with me, and I think it's something that Robert and I were talking about the other day, just before the screening of Dune 2, whose timing I know is fortuitous for Hollywood right now, even though it was delayed by the strike, but obviously is um, an oasis in the desert for them, so to speak. Um, (laughs) Sorry, lots of desert uh, metaphors. Um, But it was just this idea that Robert was saying, and I think Mark Spee says this too, it's like with the failure or or the... the, the audience is growing indifference to these superhero movies. And it's like, it's almost like they're becoming immune to them. <laughs> it's like, it's sort of, I'm realizing, and what Mark says is very true. I think we all think this is not entertainment anymore. It is homework, having mm. to keep up with oh, all did the different you watch the Disney Plus series? It's, yeah. it's like, I mean, I don't, I don't keep up. It's so funny too. This, I, after this past year, I think, it was the first Marvel movie that I did not review. It was The Marvels, mm. uh, which is not a movie I hate or anything, but it was so... Was so liberating to not have to do it. Like, yeah, I'm just not gonna, just not gonna. No, it's like it's yeah. fine. And I was fine, and you know, um, it was, and and the the movie was not fine clearly because it it, it tanked, but or it didn't do very. It gr- drastically underperformed, but it is, and it's like it's not. I don't, I don't think any of us cheer on the failure of a movie or anything, but there is Never. something. It's like, and more often than not, we're cheering on the success of movies that we don't even like that much because, hey, at least people are going. And, um, you know, if you liked either half of Barbenheimer or hated both halves, you know, it's like, but there was still something, um, you know, uplifting about that. But here, so it's like, but there is something encouraging in the idea that, okay, if this doesn't work anymore, maybe we will just make fewer of these and... Maybe yeah. make something more interesting that the rest of the audience might like. I don't know. I'm not saying I'm not saying I I, I don't necessarily feel bad for a, a, a an executive who counts on on Marvel movies, you know, superhero movies doing everything. I, I imagine that you're very oh, they're all really terrified right now because of these things, like the things that are already in the pipeline that they can't do anything about, and that they're now probably more worried about. But it, it, it's like it, it, yeah, as Manolas and Mar- it, it's it's it is cyclical, and I remember I remember what it was like to see like every other week a Star Wars ripoff when I was a kid, you know, and then everybody was making space movies and they were mostly terrible and it felt like, is this all we're going to get? And then they went away and they, they found something else to like want to completely copy and, 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 and do over and over again. The, the only thing that's distressing about this is like, I remember there was a couple years ago where some Warner Brothers movie like Tarzan or something, some really pricey movie tanked and then their immediate plan was to like, well, we're just going to make Fewer but more expensive movies, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Do the opposite of that, <laughs> you know. And 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 so the idea of anybody, nobody wants to gamble on a mid-budget movie that can make serious bank if it if it if it lands right with audiences. Like that's now what that's what Netflix makes. Well, that's also all, that thing know? that I was referring to with the marketing issue is like you know the. Are you going to spend more than the budget of a mid-range movie to mm. open it? And sure. that's just like the marketplace that we're in right now, mm. unfortunately. But thankfully, streamers have stepped into that space. And, you know, independent cinema still seems to be going pretty strong. And you're getting the A24s and other players, Searchlight and uh, such, that are, you know, still playing at that table for now. But even the A24 model seems to be shaky. And that, you know, A24, I have observed among a generation of younger film goers, you know, has really been an invigorating thing. They're excited when the logo comes up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. their MGM. Yeah. You know? They actually yeah. think that A24 has never made a bad movie. Like, that is the perception. <laughs> oh, my I found Lord. This, I know. <laughs> and no, they, a lot of good movies, but I, I remember 
in my... I can name a few off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was funny. I remember in my film criticism class that I teach, it's been really interesting ta- talking to students and seeing what they, what they like, what their viewing habits are, and mostly it's heartening, although anyone who would take a film criticism class is, of course, somewhat self-selecting, I guess, <laughs> but... They were just completely nuts about A twenty four. Just the branding and just the the just there was there was a fan. They bought the candles. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it was, it was tattoos. People because they want to belong. Yeah. It's this whole tribal mentality where people just want to belong to a thing and like and all get into it. Because like I mean, which is so weird. Because like when I became a movie buff and you know as a kid and you're like MGM musicals are the best. Even I recognize that there were some really bad MGM yeah. musicals. Pagan and, love song. Yeah, and it, and it was sort of like right. I mean, so I mean, I, it is just kind of funny. That the idea, the idea that yes, it's 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 okay to think that yeah, that they're right now in a good space, but like they make bad movies occasionally. And I mean, I, I was allergic the, to Problemista, oh, which opened Friday. Although a lot of people like that, and what I do like about it is just how kind of what a big swing it is, you know. Um, which movie? Problemista, uh, the Julio Torres uh, movie with Phil. I, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, it has the most deranged performance from an actress who <laughs> it kind of specializes lately in them in Tilda Swinton. But uh, it is one of the few movies that, at the very end, I wanted to giggle and cry simultaneously. <laughs> so I give it points for that. Sounds <laughs> positive. But I mean, like, I, I I want those movies in the world, in the marketplace, oh, yeah. in the you know, in front of people's eyeballs. You know. Um, yep. And I think. Why? Go ahead, sorry. But they will be. I mean, yeah. I mean, and I know, I just, I'm just saying, I think that there is very much a kind of the sky is falling mentality that is built into the industry simply because of money. Because you're just putting so much money on the line all the time. So it just accelerates it. But it's, it's been this way for so long. Doesn't mean that things aren't bad. Doesn't mean that I would really prefer people go into movie theaters. But just come on. But, but I, I do like the note of optimism from from Harris in that, like, yeah, w- when we talk about oh, the seventies new Hollywood, that was on the heels of every studio taking at least one big bath on a musical that nobody wanted to right. go see, you know. And so maybe sometimes things have to get this bad for them to just try something new or it, it, explore a different revenue stream or whatever it is yeah. that makes revolutionary change happened. It always comes after they spend a ton of money on something. So cuz even the 70s led to even the 70s era led to Heaven's Gate. Like yes. the idea that you could you could spend too much money on an auteur making yeah. their personal project and like New York New York in 1941 yes, and yes. Sorcerer and, but, you know, so, and so now we're going through that with the superhero movies. They're realizing okay, this is not you know. But let's also remember in the 1970s wasn't just about, you know, great filmmakers making interesting movies. It was about the uh, you know, the Towering Inferno, Poseidon yeah. Adventure. Those were the movies, those True. big spectacles yeah. that really helped financially financially really help the industry out of the recession of the mm. late 60s and 70s. So they need them. Yeah, they need do they need, need those you know, movies. so there are these it's just like the 70s is just only this font of like a tourist expression and that's what actually led it led the industry out of its recession absolutely not it was also these really big movies and then of course jaws and star wars come along as well i, I couldn't be happier that the john wick movies stayed good got more expensive 
got longer, and it was a franchise that ended up being incredibly great after at, at four movies too, which is unreal. Apparently, not just four either. I was like, gonna say there, there, there's as long a prequel as made- five coming. Out. I refuse to watch those. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And I don't think he's really D E A D at the end of uh, four either. Is that for the children who are listening? Here? <laughs> It's more of a trigger word it's for. That's how we avoid spoilers on this spoiler show. Spoiler for people who, who can't spell. <laughs> you, can just, you can just bleep Peter's like the right? Um. So so the the on the note of optimism, then the the Oscars are next week, and I was just curious. Wait, I like, thought we we were trying to be optimistic. Uh, no, oh, wait, 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 here's, I was going to say what what is something that everybody is 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 at least excited that they got nominated because for me. Uh, I really loved Robot Dreams. And, oh yeah, that's nice. uh, you know okay. I think most people are not going to see that movie until later this year when when Neon opens it. But it did qualify. They did go through the steps to like mm-hmm. be an Oscar qualifier, and it was in our Neon book of screeners that we got. And I adore that film, and so I was really thrilled to see it get in the 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 the, the final five. And when it does open in April or whatever, it's going to have that branding on it then it's going to drive more people to see it so uh, as 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 hokey and and you know counterproductive as the oscars can be in general i always try and find like one thing where like oh yeah good choice and it's going to help a movie that needs it and i'm wondering if everybody if anybody else has one like that where like i at least am glad that this movie is getting this boost you know it's funny i'm i'm kind of really excited that Oppenheimer's probably going to sweep. I mean, I just think it's kind of in the sense that I know this is the opposite of kind of what you're asking. You're saying, well, I have, I have, a, I have a second part of this. But first off, it's just like it's kind of nice that a big, meaty Hollywood ensemble. You know, we haven't just it's you know Best Picture said it a favor, yeah, hit, yeah. critical darling, all of that, and you know it's Nolan's time and all of this, and um, there's just something kind of weirdly comforting about that. It feels like a throwback, you know, after years of Smaller, I hate saying bigger or smaller. Justin but you know what really I mean. hated the the yeah. parasite one best picture. I really hate it. It such a <laughs> he was piece of garbage garbage movie. Um, no, it's <laughs> no, it's some the, the the more modestly budgeted, let's say, pictures that have one in the you know some good, some uh, not so good. Um, but even still, there's something kind of you know uh, nice about that. And yet, for me, the most optimistic thing is just the growing internationalism of the Academy as a body of voters, which we mm-hmm. see. I mean, I think Sandra that Hooler I just got done. Yeah, Sandra Huller. Actually, she'd probably be my pick as far as, you know, um, uh, love her and Anatomy of the Fall. But um, I just got done watching all the nominated documentaries, and they're all international. I don't think that has ever happened. Has it happened? We're not a I, single no, I American. Think, uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. And actually. I'm not trying to be like, oh, no, American the films is quite the opposite. I just got done saying I'm very happy that Oppenheimer's going to sweep. But it's like... But I think that you're saying you hated Kokomo City. Fine. <laughs> no, not, no, not that. Or, or um, you know, although I would have loved um, the Fred Wiseman yeah, to be in there too. Yeah, yeah. But it's nice. just there's something. I just thought it was really interesting the reaction to that. Oh, that, wow. Those documentary yeah. nominees. Yeah. How the, the the kind of blinkered reaction from oh. a lot of Americans. How and just how Amerocentric everything always is. And it's like. I'm not saying this. This is not going to be the case every year, but this year it's interesting, and these films are it is. Them good. And it's like, why just the knee jerk? No, those xenophobia. Pieces, those pieces irritated me the most that were written about. What's wrong with the documentary branch? If these are the nominees, I'm yeah. like, going, no, this is actually the best sign yet that the documentary branch is seeing is, things. Is seeing things. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the most uh, significant change I think to the Academy of the last few years is just the 
you know, kind of overnight uh, internationalification of the uh, of what the academy represents, and it, it's kind of like this it's this existential question now because for a long time the Academy Awards were kind of the American the Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Pats itself on the back awards, and now it's interesting. They were intramural, yeah. <laughs> and as you know, and that's all these other countries have the Cesar Awards or France's Oscars is often how people will refer to these, you know. But it's like it's interesting that the Academy Awards wants to be international, but then it also has to deliver on that. It can't be so, you know, focused on Hollywood stuff. And so we see signs like the one that Justin mentions is encouraging. And I think the Best Picture race having both Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall represented and the whole controversy about should France have submitted Anatomy of a Fall as its, you know, uh, international submission and having it represented in other categories. I mean, to me, that movie's uh, representation across multiple categories is probably the thing, Alonzo, that you asked me what excites me. It's like, you know, that is, a, yes, it won the Palme d'Or, but um, that does not, not a guarantee. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. So one of the things that's always really interesting is to look at the Academy Awards as, because I think, it, you know, it's not a mirror of the industry and the American industry in particular. And I'm saying American industry, even understanding that all of the, the major studios are owned by international companies. But, you know, we do associate the Oscars with the United States, but that this has been, that's been shifting for a while. I mean, when I think of like the big change that happened at the Oscars, it was the year that both Mike Lee's Secrets and Lies and Lars Van Trier's Breaking the Waves got nominated. And there, this was in the uh, mid 90s. 96. Yeah. And there was such a complete outcry about like, what the hell are these little movies? You know, I mean, with the kind of the Academy voting membership was much smaller at that point. You know, they hadn't, I think it was closer to between. Five and six thousand. They hadn't really started to pump up the ranks as they've been doing in the last couple of years, but that that was a huge shift because it was acknowledging that the American studios were no longer making the kinds of movies that would be hits and would be critically acclaimed. Kramer versus Kramer, something like that. Whatever you think of it, that would be at top of the box office and get Academy Awards. That there started to be a shift as they started making these bigger and bigger movies that were not critically acclaimed, right? So that was, that started this, this has been a kind of interesting shift with the, so I think you're right, Justin, with the, with Oppenheimer, it's so unusual. When is the last time that a movie that big has been a huge box office hit and as equally critically acclaimed? That's going. That's yeah. going back a while. So it's like out of life. Africa days, you know. Like yeah, exactly. It was huge right. and won a ton of awards oh, and was no. had a right. prestige element to or it. Ti- I mean, Titanic. 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 Actually, Titanic. Not counting sweeps over everything in its wake, but, but that's, yeah. that's again, yeah. that's 1997, right? Yeah. So yeah. That in terms is, of a comparable level, yeah, of we have to go back. Gladiator, but something that will something that is expected to just do phenomenally well in like a crop, like really, sure, it's going to be that movie's night type of thing. Yeah. It's yeah. really, it's really, really interesting to see this. I, I just, you just feel like there are these convulsions are still happening and going to continue happening. So, but you know, I hate the Oscars when I don't love them. So, I don't really <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, the Oppenheimer talk uh, uh, reminds me of, uh, as I was telling Robert today. Uh, Oppenheimer is my uh, what Manola feels about zone of interest. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm just wondering if, if in 2023 or recently anybody felt like they were the one 
the lone voice crying against the wind. Well, I'll say first, like I, I applaud uh, Manola for sticking her neck out on that. I share her I reservations. Didn't stick my neck out on it at all. I didn't well, give I, a shit what anyone else thought. <laughs> I, I feel like there is there is definitely like a Sorry. tall poppy culture right now where like you know the you know the outlier critic is in it can be in a very uncomfortable position and. You know, I share your reservations on that movie. I was not the one to review it, and I'm not going to go out of my way to, like, you know... Poo-poo it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to write an essay about my reservations about it, but, um, I, you know, I, your reservations resonated with me, and I don't, I don't uh, begrudge anyone who connected with that movie. I'm actually quite delighted that that movie has had the audience and, I mean, like, relatives of mine who seldom go to the movies are telling me how they saw that movie and... We're moved by it, and that is encouraging to me. But you know, I just didn't have that reaction. Yeah, Oppen- go ahead. No, I feel because I feel the same way about Oppenheimer. Even though I'm not an Oppenheimer person, I am really excited that this movie like was huge. I mean, really? and, and 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 in the ways that like you when you hear people talk about it and they dig it so much, you're like, yes, this. I mean, it doesn't matter then that I that I that I am not a fan of it, but it's like there you go. That's I. I you should be able to think that, but uh, yeah, you're you're speaking to the fact that maybe you know, critics get death threats now when they don't like things. I mean, it's exactly. sort of like that's what you're talking about. Oh, that's mean. that's me. I'm the one making the death threats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. Okay, I'm sorry. I I cursed, and I know you have. To. Uh, that's we're, fine. We're, we're slapping an adult only on this one. It's fine. <laughs> oh. I just you just spell like... the curse word next time instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For... <laughs> You know, yes, I obviously I I hated Zone of Interest. I have to say there were there were a few other people who wrote negative reviews. I'm not the only one, and also talked about it. But I'm I last year I just wanted everything to do well. You know, post pandemic, I've just mm-hmm. been like I want everything to do well. I think it's only positive. I think what's amazing is that how how well so many movies did, despite the fact that we had these historic strikes and we're coming out of the pandemic. I thought yep. that was extraordinary. You know yeah. that people. Were that I drove around a, um, a par- I was trying to get to a screening one night, and I was driving around for a half an hour trying to find parking in Burbank. We were like at that screening, we, the haunted we mansion that, screening. We were, and we couldn't Burbank. get parking because everyone was going yeah. to see Barbie and Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. and the theaters <laughs> were just crowded, and it was. I was both freaked out and like, but also pot like. Oh my God, this is super exciting. It was amazing. It was was a Monday night. It was like, I remember that, you know, yeah. It was so heartening to see on social media, like people, and not just film people I know, but just folks making a big night of doing one or other or both Mm -hmm. of those. Mm -hmm. And it's happening this weekend with Dune. I mean, like I had either plans with people or uh, wanted to make plans with people and either they got canceled or people are saying, I can't because I'm seeing Dune and I'm like, good. <laughs> uh, That's what it's which... Dune to everybody. Well, oh. well as to leave this house. To take a line from Mark Harris's piece, it's always darkest just before the Dune. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was heartened by the fact that there, somebody had a t-shirt that said, I'm just here to F the popcorn. Like, oh, my God. oh my God, I've had that SNL song in my head. I keep saying it. <laughs> It's a good song. It is. I mean, it's, like it's, a, it's an earworm. <laughs> oh, no. See, I can play this. Oh, my and you goodness. should. You should. <laughs> okay, I do have one question, though. Please. Does anyone think that Austin Butler is actually hot in that movie? 
I find I'm I think sure it was terrifying are. in that movie, but you I know. thought he was terrifying. But the idea that people like I think I read in passing someone saying he was I was like he he's horrifying looking. I mean he's very good. I think he's no sting in a cod Yeah, he's no sting in a cod piece. That's right. That's right. Every uh, every plot's got a lid. So yeah. Someone out there, <laughs> someone out there is super horny for Austin Butler looking like that. Someone out there thinks, did they get plans to my sex dungeon and I didn't realize that? Yeah. <laughs> I just have to say, having referenced Sting and the Codpiece in my review, this was, this was the second review I wrote for The New Yorker, actually the third review I wrote for The New Yorker, and just a very quick indulgent window into just the fact checking. This is your like, review of the bad right yeah, oh, no, this is exactly right. No. No. no, I reference this, and it's like, the, the fact, you know, The New Yorker has an amazing fact checking department, and they are, which is legendary, and, we spent like I think half an hour debating: Is this a thong? Is this a? I think we settled on galactic undies, you know, at the end. But yes, but that was just this is amazing. I love that. I love that we're debating. This is the you know um, for not half an hour. Okay, fifteen minutes, but still. This this is the fact checking department we were promised by Bright Lights Big City. So I'm, I'm glad you're living it. Yeah. Oh, I'm just trying to not come up with any. I'm sorry, I just was, there's all sorts of dirty little puns that started to pop. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to throw in just an endorsement for Poor Things, which, like, was my film of last year. And, Mind like, you. you know, the uh, I was just blown away by that film. Nola, I know you're on oh, the yes. opposite side on this. Ms. Negativity over here. <laughs> yeah. the, but, uh, you know, and it was a film I understood would be divisive from the moment I was seeing it. I mean, it's in some ways it's got this calamitous score. Is that the right word? But just like it's discordant thing, you know, kind of, uh, it'll either irritate or tickle you depending on kind of your sensibilities. And, you know, you may have to actually make a conscious readjust to be on its wavelength. But that movie just, to me was such an exciting, like kind of swan dive into a totally new, uh, you know, a new, uh, all these stylistic things, all of these thematic things, uh, and uh, this kind of like gonzo brave uh, performance by Emma Stone, who knows whether or not, I mean, to me, it's so obvious that that was the performance of last year. And yet, you know, I love what Lily Gladstone did in Killers of the Flower Moon. And that seems like a head to head combat thing here on Oscar night. But, um, you know, that movie uh, has definitely kind of like fallen under the shadow of the other kind of titans duking it out, but it has the second highest number of nominations. And I realize that a lot of people still haven't seen it. So if I'm monologuing it's about it, it this week. Movie. And it just but passed like, it passed the 100 million mark not yeah, too no, long it's ago. Doing like really well. US. No, no, that in the US it's in like the, way down like yeah, yeah, global. Okay. Yeah. But still, so it's, that's it's good, like, that's for, still, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is getting seen. It's just not to the level I had hoped for it. And, uh, but you know, people are discovering oh. it. Someone texted me on my way here telling me how he loved the lobster. This was really bizarre, he said. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. And I'm like, good. Like, that's a good place to start. Who was just talking the other day about all the walkouts they saw when they went to see it? Uh, oh, my friend Daniel, who saw yeah. it in really? South Carolina. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I remember this. I, I remember seeing Dogtooth, you know, the director Yorgos mm -hmm. Lanthimos' earlier film at the Palm Springs Film Festival. And what I love about Palm Springs is it's all these... Uh, it's an older audience, but they're adventuresome. They will go and see movies that are kind of outside their comfort zone. And Dogtooth is definitely to a limit. that. 
So what what I was basically doing was sitting in the theater watching as these kind of like little blue haired silhouettes would cross in front of you know the lower part of the screen. Oh, I wish old ladies still had blue hair. I, I just don't anymore. It's a great. It's a great. You race. need to go to the Palm Springs. Uh, Dave and I went went to a commercial screening of Me and You and Everyone We Know in Palm Springs, oh, no. and two thirds of the audience walked out. Oh no! I oh no! That breaks. Too late. They got your money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So all right, Manola, you are a lover as well as a fighter uh, what what 2023 movies just caught you by surprise and, and delighted you caught me by surprise and delighted me well like okay for example <laughs> I think like Barbie I was I thought was a million times better than, than I could have ever imagined that it would be or that it had to be uh, Bottoms was a film that just came out of nowhere and I thought was uh, so smart and and radical in, in its style of comedy like you know it, even are you there god it's me margaret i i thought there's no way they're going to do this right and they did so it's the surprises that i live for did you have anything like that last year surprises i i don't know man i've just saw so many movies and it's hard to think about surprises there's just a lot of stuff that i liked i mean my problem is whenever i do a top 10 and i think that this is something probably all of us share it's really hard to whittle it down to 10 Sure. You know, it's just like, oh, I've got yeah. 20 movies you must see, you know. So it's really hard. I had a really good movie year. I was happy that Barbie was not terrible. Um, I think she's really talented. It's a product placement movie. So I, I, I find the discourse around it in a way more interesting than the movie itself in some ways. I mean, she's clearly sensationally talented. It is what it is, the movie. Um but the discourse was really interesting, and I hope that people continue to be really excited about women in the industry beyond this movie. You know, she didn't get nominated that as director. That's not a surprise. Once again, it's a small field, five people, and I think that there are a lot of people who never, you know, it's interesting to me, the people who just, like, don't understand why people might have qualms about the fact that it's about that it's a product movie, you know? I mean, it just is. And so I, for me, that was always a limitation on it, but I'm excited for her. But again, I think the discourse is more interesting. I don't know. I There were a lot of movies I liked. I was sad that some movies didn't do as well. I would like to also just say uh, the documentary uh, uh, portion of the Academy has always sucked. Uh, you know, uh, Frederick Weissman... Has never been nominated yes. yeah. for best documentary. So really, that completely for me and completely and entirely invalidates that entire arm. They suck, and they always suck, and they will every single one of them. How dare they? That's all I have to say. No I, am, I, I guess I'm in more hater mood than a lover. Oh, mood. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Menu yeah. plays here, by the way, streaming all month on the PBS site, and yeah, it's going to be airing in on PBS this month. Of its so. appearing on PBS. I was yes. sad that uh, Todd Haynes' movie didn't like. Yeah, get no, more. I think this has got some of the best performances of the year, bar none, 2023. So the fact that May December, I think that that movie just freaked people out, and I also <laughs> I I do kind of wonder. I think the Netflix effect is definitely something there in terms of how how people look at it in terms of quality. I just think, I'm not sure what it is, but I just feel like, I don't know if it always helps filmmakers. I love this about like May-December conversations and I've now had so many of them where like, I just kind of shut up and wait for the person to, when they drop that title to tell me what they thought because it is so polarizing. And like, mm -hmm. I who loved it, it sounds like around the table that shared, 
you know, like I'm ready to uh, reinforce their, <laughs> their love or else defend it. But like, you know, I have no idea what's coming when they're kind of like, did you say me to slumber? I think the reason that maybe it, it, it fared so poorly with the Academy is like the Academy loves those movies like Argo and the <laughs> artist that sort of paints cinema as this great thing. And this like, you know, it's going to fix the world. Yeah. And this movie is the opposite in terms cool. of you know the, the the machinations and the motivations of people that make movies and so I think it was a That's mirror great. that a lot of Academy voters didn't want to look into. You're telling group with whose largest faction is actors that actors are some of the worst people in the world. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And I mean, you know, of course Todd Haynes is I never want to say never, but he's just never been, you know, he's too smart for them. Just, yeah. just, I, I yeah. agree. He's, just, he's too smart you know. and too great a filmmaker for this this body, I think. The the but, uh, the nominated screenwriter also wrote Tammy Birch, yes. Coyote versus Acme. I know. Oh, oh I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was nice when, for a while, Charles Melton looked like he might be. And it's like, oh, I, yeah. I don't know, it's just Jared Hope. He's, he's so wonderful in the movie, and it's, uh, yeah, and I have, nominated. you know, wonderful to see where he goes from here, but... Um, I, I have a thing too, just a very simple. Just like it's, it's just don't, don't, um, you know, they'll they'll love Asian actors when they're in a big martial arts spectacular Gonzo mm-hmm. comedy, but ask them to give a quieter, more interior <laughs> performance. Mm-hmm. No, not a, no. So, mm-hmm. anyways, because that's true of you know a lot of great actors this year, like Reta Lee and Tao Yu and Past Lives. So yep. I just think that yep. there's, in terms of volume, like audible volume, it's just there's something I don't know. It's disheartening. A few steps forward, many steps back. Can I? Um, I do have one movie I'd like to just mention from last year, Alonzo. I don't know if you like this, but um, Orlando, my political biography, oh, was yeah. probably yeah. one of my biggest surprises. Uh, I knew nothing about it. Uh, it's, a, it's a small movie. Uh, it's by uh, a philosopher uh, named Paul B. Preciado. I uh, believe that I use they, um, but brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Actually, not sure how they. Do you know which what pronouns and also? I believe it's he him actually. It's a he him. So and I believe it's a identifies now as a transgender man. I believe that is. Yeah. Anyway, it is a great movie. You have to go in expecting that it's going to look like two dollars and fifty cents worth of uh, <laughs> material on screen. Just get over it. It is. It does it. You know. It's basically a bunch of people came in, a few funny wigs, and that's it. But it's just. <laughs> I it's a movie that I thought about. It's that I loved watching it, and that stayed with me longer than most of the movies I saw last year. So highly recommend that. And I it's think wonderful. it's on, it's on Criterion Channel. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And I need to give it another chance it because is. many people whose opinions I respect really loved it, and it didn't work for me the first time I saw it. But perhaps I need to give it another look. So no, I, I think it's that. totally wonderful. It, I love the way it fooled me, and it, it, at times, and and also the way it uh, uh, it just kind of like captured something celebratory and and political at the, and and it was just yeah just i i, I was into it totally. I, I was really dismayed like a, a film that i loved last year that uh had a major trans character that even people i know who are critics who specialize in talking about trans cinema didn't know existed oh. <laughs> uh is is lamentata mm. which i feel like i've been sort of David, I've been kind of solitarily banging the drum for for the last year. But, uh, you know, another great Penelope Cruz performance and I think a really just lovely piece of trans coming-of-age cinema. And there are musical numbers. Yes. <laughs> and there was a there was another, uh, that Framing Agnes movie. That yes, was that was great. Uh, that was from a couple of years ago. But it reminds me, it didn't come out until very late <laughs> a year ago, like December last year, and barely got seen, but Orlando 
and it are both doing these very playful meta self-conscious things. And mm. when you're dealing with trans identity and per- performance and representation, that's a really rich, you know, yeah, no, form to kind of like uh, to play with it. I would like to mention a couple of docs uh, since I see so many docs every year. But um, a still small voice was one of the best mm, documentaries yeah, of last yeah, yeah. year. It's a story. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it kind of goes inside the um, uh, the uh, hospice area of Mount Sinai, and you're kind of with a woman who is uh, training. Tra- training to be um, a chaplain, and her experience with with people at the end of life, and it is. Uh, the and director, then COVID happens. <laughs> yeah, the director Luke Lawrenson is just one of the uh, uh, great new documentary voices. I think he made another great film called Midnight Family about an ambulance. Mm, uh, oh, that's the same guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, about a uh, family of, uh, of ambulance drivers in um, in Mexico City, and it, this is this guy. His style is to just be observant, but it's a it's a it's a still camera. He often likes, but it's it's he just puts you in a space um, of serenity, and but also turmoil but and in it but it's also just really really beautiful about um about people's lives and i just kind of loved um that movie and also a short film that's nominated for an oscar called the last repair shop which everybody needs to see mm. um, on disney plus now I think, it's right? everywhere actually you can oh, watch okay. it and the, the 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 guy who makes it is very into the idea that short docs are, are uh, the last democratic form of filmmaking because <laughs> you, you, you you don't expect to make money with them and you can be a voice and you can have a voice with them and so his idea is i make this movie so that i can put it on every single platform for free so you anybody can watch it whenever and it's the kind of story since it's about uh, free repair for uh, instruments in LA for kids. It's the last city in America that has free instrument repair for kids, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. And when you were mentioning the the, the all foreign doc lineup, uh, I was thinking they could have added another one, which was Our Body. Oh yeah, yeah. Our Body is great. Yeah, really liked Our Body. Speaking of Wiseman influence. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Academy did give Wiseman his governor's award. They so did? Yes. Yeah. Too little too late. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what <laughs> I know. our beloved and yes, Varda had to settle for that too. But, mm, yeah. I, know. I mean, it's great, but it's also like... Or Lynch, oops, every director will never win a competitive one. Sure, so the it becomes the kind of concession enough, prize, unfortunately. Yeah. I love the story. You're too cool for us. Yeah. <laughs> and it always happens, you're supposed to win after you get that award, too. It's like, I mean, I think, isn't the story no. that Paul Newman Paul was Newman on the was set of The Color of Money accepting his honorary Oscar, yes. like, from, <laughs> remotely, and then he wins the next year <laughs> for the movie that he's on the set of? Okay. I know so. we did that with Lafka a few times. Like, I think after Elmer Bernstein got our career achievement, he won for Far From Heaven and... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. LA Film Critics, we do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll pipe up for a movie that I I kind of put on my top ten list, even though it hasn't come out here in the states yet. It had played Los Angeles in the animation festival, but it's this movie Chicken for Linda because it comes out imminently. Yes, and, it does. Like yes. Uh, I uh, I just love this movie. It's like a hand drawn animated film by the um, girl without hands. It's a married couple and they're making this one together. Um, but uh, the I I mean it's intended as a kids thing, but I hope that adults will go. And it, mm. to me, it was just you know such a both the style of it, but also it's a mother daughter story about you know uh, a, a mom who kind of like um, uh, punishes her uh, daughter incorrectly or you know by error, and to make up for it says, "What do you want?" And the the daughter wants chicken for dinner. It you know is the dish that her her, her late father, you know, used to prepare. And anyway, the whole movie is kind of during a strike how impossible it is to get their hands on a chicken. But in it is this single mother raising her daughter dynamic and, you know, the grieving, what do you remember of your 
father thing. It's just such a beautiful, profound human film. And in an animated film, seeing things that felt more human than mm. almost any film, maybe, but anim- Anatomy of a Fall, which seems to have an insight into how real people behave and think. But, uh, Is that opening in theaters? It yeah. will. It's a G Kids release oh, coming good. out in the next month or so. Great. So right. watch for Chicken for Linda. I want to speak up for Earth Mama. Oh, mm. yeah. Just because I feel like this movie, which flew under the radar at Sundance 2023, I didn't see it there. I caught up with it later mm-hmm. and just had it. Got some Spirit most, Award nominations. It did get it some did. Spirit Award And it won the BAFTA, I think, for Best First Film, or which was oh, kind wow. of a, a nice oh. surprise. And I just had kind of the most quietly profound, solitary experience with this movie seeing, which I you know, had heard some nice things about, but I just, it, you know, this is a movie, this is... Savannah Leaf's debut film about a young black mother trying to get her kids out of foster care while she herself is pregnant um, as well. And so it's, um, and it's, I just found it, you know, this is someone who, (laughs) scene after scene, director who is telling the story in this very quiet, subtle, emotional register, almost completely with just camera movement, long takes. Um, Tiana Mori is the lead and she gives an amazing performance and... I just, no, it just, it was a blip, but it, was, it really stayed with me. It's a beautiful movie, and it there's is. a Dune connection. For people who need to see everything with Dune, I want to just point out that Sharon Duncan Brewster, who was one of my favorite performances in the first Dune, great. is also in, in uh, Earth Mama. Ooh. Earth Mama's right. Yep, okay. Earth Mama's like the best kind of A24 movie, which are, that studio, in addition to making these big showy, you know, kind of conversation starters, is just giving a voice to filmmakers, you know, who are telling kind of like non, non frilly, non bombastic, non bizarro stories. And I think that, um, uh, a 24 is operating on these two very different wavelengths at the same time. Like, uh, Janet planet is kind of from that space too. And sure, they're yeah. finding and, and betting on these talents who clearly have promise. Uh, for talking about films to look forward to this year, a movie that Dave and I cannot review because we are friends with the director. Uh, but there's a, a queer film called uh, Big Boys that won the Audience Award uh, and the Best Actor Award at Outfest last year. And it's received other acclaim at other festivals. Uh, will be hitting theaters. And it's a really funny coming-of-age piece. It's like said in the 90s, I want to say. And it's about a sort of dorky teenage kid who sort of because of his cousin's boyfriend kind of figures out he's into guys and he's into big guys. A specific kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, which is not a not a coming of age story I've seen before. Um, and it has it, it is it's very heartfelt and funny and low key and not it's one of those where like not a ton happens, but the character goes on such a, a, a an arc kind of a journey. Uh, I, I think it's a really strong debut. I'm very proud of our friend who made it. I'll affirm that. I saw that at the Provincetown Film Festival and it was just a discovery. You know, mm-hmm. it was like it, 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 it's of a certain small budget and yet that lead actor, Isaac Krasner, yeah. like just, I mean, sometimes there's a short film nominated for an Oscar that lives or dies by the central performance, the Canadian one called Invincible. Yeah. You know, like uh, where if you're building a story around a young person and you don't have... The right an actor who can carry it, and this Isaac kid is like just terrific. I mean, yeah. vulnerable, and like I mean, it's about the germ of a of a not a fetish, but like a, a recognition of his own, you know, kind of uh, preference, I guess, in <laughs> yeah, this case. <laughs> and and it's like that's a really tricky thing to to convey, and it's and it's funny and warm and um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Our friend Corey Sherman. 
Um, all right. Well, golly. Uh, any any final thoughts <laughs> about the cinema not being dead or anything else? Yeah, I'm just so happy that my favorite film of 2023, Passive Fiction, was nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> and that it's gonna, usually happens. And that it's going to win. Like, that's, yeah. I'm super stoked. Yeah. There, there is yeah, a I lot agree. of... If you liked Oppenheimer, you will find things in Passive Fiction absolutely. thematically to... Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, actually, Great before we go, you were talking about something that surprised you in 2023, but not. I don't know that anything surprised me in 2023 because I was... Mostly at home, <laughs> and the um, but the best film going experience that I had in 2023 was uh, uh, last summer. We have a friend who's also our neighbor, and the LK listeners know his name, um, who does not seek out the film I'm about, does not seek out the kinds of films like the one I'm about to mention but always says yes when I say, hey, I'm going to go see this so we can talk about it on, on, the, on the podcast. Do you want to go? And he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so we went to uh, the Lumiere. If you live in Los Angeles and you have not gone to the Lumiere, then you're bad because it is the awesomest, like, dive bar of a movie theater. <laughs> yeah. You're either going to freeze or like sweat bullets. Completely <laughs> unrenovated <laughs> music hall that used to be owned by the Lemleys. They've got an MMA, they've got MMA fights on the TV in the lobby. Like, it, the sound's not on, but like when you It's like where film, you'd shoot a bad date for your movie, yeah. like a scene for a bad, that's like you'd shoot it there. And in an art house where all the movie posters are from the mid 90s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, it is, first of all, it's good for my body because my screwed up hips need a nice, sturdy, uh, hard chair. And so they haven't given anybody any new comfy chairs yet in that place. But so we went to see Human Flowers of Flesh, which is a newly inscrutable film. And I, when I watch a movie like that, and when I'm watching it with a friend who I, who I know is like struggling <laughs> with it while watching it, um... When I'm watching a film like that, I'm I'm my 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 brain is working hard because I'm thinking, where did this come from? <clears throat> What's going on? I know the first movie she made is about a woman who gets on a boat and just kind of goes somewhere, and now she's made a new movie about a woman who gets on a boat and just kind of goes somewhere. Only when she goes to where she's going, she runs into Denis Levant from Beautravail. What's happening? And when we walked out of it the friend said to me that was a toughie <laughs> and you we had this have it any other way. conversation yeah. on the way home about like okay we'll see there's this earlier film Beau which also is referencing this other earlier film called Le Petit Soldat and then I, I'm going to have to get back to you on what it, <laughs> what's happening here but I feel alive when I see movies like that and when I have experiences like that, and I need more of that. I need Hollywood to cater to me for <laughs> one full year. I just, I, must, I just want one year. I think I deserve one full year of Hollywood catering to me. And I need like Universal or Warner Brothers to be like, we're going to give all the money that Matty Diop wants for her next film. We're going to give Albert Serra 
anything he asks for. And let's just see what happens. And it's all going to play at the Grove, you know. We can go to Cheesecake Factory after and, and see a, 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 a perplexing thing. This is I, like you want to be, be, you know? be in a situation, <laughs> Dave, where you're driving around trying to find a parking space and you can't because everybody is seeing that movie. Yeah, the human powers yes. New Give Albert Sarah. They're all running to the new Albert Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the pitch for Pacific Fiction. Like that's a film I, I love. That movie. Of, the know? pitch. <laughs> no, I mean like I, oh, what I it is that you what it is that you know you responded to. Um. Well, Other than the difficulty, I like Albert Serra anyway because there I'm I'm I get ambient queerness from him. I don't know that he's ever spoken about who he is a, at all. Um, but this is the kind of queer filmmaking that I that I want. I want um, I want atmospheric situations where barely anyone is talking and everything is a gesture and. The composition is telling you what to what to think and feel in that moment. I don't. I'm sorry, that's not a pitch. I know, but like, no, I, I that's, that's that. a great that's pitch. I mean, those yes. are the movies I want to see too. So yeah, I mean, I get it. And it's beautiful, and it's hypnotic, yeah. so even beautiful. even by his standards. But I mean, this thing is hey. the most beautiful looking movie he's made, and it just and there's something kind of toxic undergirding that hey, hypnotic okay. quality, you know, and it's just you know, it's, Hollywood was making those movies in the early '70s. It could happen again. You yeah. never know. <laughs> That I don't film think has never that existed before, and I say that in a complimentary way. You know, it's like no, there's that, no. It's an Albert Serra's does not have any other. He's his own genre. And that trans actor in the movie is like, yeah. uh, I say actor genderlessly there, mm-hmm. which we're supposed to use across the board at Variety, but um, actress, I guess in this case. Um, but uh, God, uh, I mean, just like mesmerizing too. You know, it's like. Uh, the and then uh, the one person who's looking at Benoit Majumel and, and and actually communicating this idea, I know everything you are already. So <laughs> let's play ball the right way. Yeah. Well, and speaking and gesture and everything, it's like and Benoit Majumel giving that performance through an earpiece that where Albert Sarah is like speaking. Okay, now say this or say something like this. Just like, amazing. Is that how that happened? I yeah, like, yeah. Like, that he wanted because oh this. Yeah, he wanted like fe- like. I don't know if it was, I wouldn't say it was like unscripted or something, but Im- basically an improvised performance that Sarah was sort of piping so, directions into. <laughs> so Marlon Brando would have been his perfect actor. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or Depardieu, who is not anybody's perfect actor these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he like reads his lines off of surfaces in the most recent movies he did. Oh, well, I hate to leave it a Gerard Depardieu, but here we are. Maybe it would have been nominated if it had been American Pacifiction. There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Found it. <laughs> one could argue it's got more about the results of Oppenheimer's work than Oppenheimer does. Yes, but, you that's know, that's, that's a that's whole other discussion. Yeah, yeah. It's the natural follow-up. Uh, all right. Well, oh. Manola, remotely, and here, Robert, Justin, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. We we live for this episode. And um, real quick, let's let's go around and do do a like. Where can folks find you online? Oh, online uh, at R A Abley on Twitter. Okay. At Justin C. Chang. More at Variety.com than on social media, really. Fair enough. Manola? New York Times. Yeah. NYT.com. NYT.com, yeah. I, 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 I lurk on uh, X Twitter, but I, I try not to really use it too much since it's owned by you know what. 
Yeah, no, I, I've pretty much abandoned Twitter at this point, but you can... We're at Linoleum Cast on Instagram and on Blue Sky and at Facebook, and uh, you can drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Our Patreon is at patreon.com slash linoleumknife. We thank everybody. If, uh, if you're a regular listener or you popped in because of our distinguished guests, uh, we're glad you joined us. And until next time, goodbye. Bye. Mwah. Big kiss. Bye.